Yeah, it really makes my job easy to <laughs> the way y'all lead into this stuff. So, why missions? Because of that, right? Um, why missions? Why why bother? Why uh, why does a young couple spend thousands of dollars to go to Asia and see if that's what God has for their life? Why do it? Why stand up here and ask you to give a little bit more money this year to make sure that the cause of global missions continues to expand as opposed to having to pull people back? Why? Why encourage each of you to look deep in your heart prayerfully and say, God, when is it my time to go? Where do you want me to go? Why do that? And that's what I hope that this passage will give a good answer to. I know it'll give a good answer. I hope it'll give a good answer to you for that. Why missions? Why the cause of global missions? Why sacrifice and give our lives and give our resources for global missions? Aren't there plenty of lost people right here? Can't we glorify God right here? Can't we make disciples right here? Yeah. Yeah, we can. So why go there? I'm going to give you two answers to the question that I think the text will ultimately answer. Answer one is that most, or a good, I shouldn't say most, almost half the world lives in a world with no Christmas, much less no Easter. They live in a world where God hasn't become flesh for them, has not dwelt among them. They have not gotten to behold his glory. They have not gotten to hear of a God who became flesh to take on a cross to die for their sins and raise again. They've not heard that there's a God who would step out of heaven's glory into the world. They live in a world without Christmas, and they live in a world certainly without Easter. And the effects of a world, when you think about a world without Christmas, that's what most people, that's what they're living in. There's no peace. They are ravaged by war and oppression and fighting for control, just like all the Gentiles do apart from God. They live in a a world struggling for power. They live in a world struggling for money. They live in a world where oppression is the norm where people exist to serve their rulers and their leaders and their dictators, where they are blinded and enslaved by religions that, by definition, oppress and destroy people. And they're living in a world without Christmas. And they're living in a world without Easter. And if you think about the spiritual landscape, it is as ravaged as the desert sand that so many of these places occupy. That's why... But that's not ultimately why. That's just the lesser why. What's the real why? The real why is that those 3.16 billion people, 40 plus percent of the human population on earth today, the real reason why is that they have chosen to make statues of birds and statues of Buddha and statues, monuments to themselves of great high buildings and monuments to themselves of the highest buildings on earth. And they have decided that their glory belongs to those buildings and their glory belongs to those idols and their glory belongs to their emperors and rulers and governments and that their their glory belongs to their own body, their own wealth, their own prosperity. And the ultimate reason why we do missions is because their glory doesn't belong to those things. 
Their glory belongs to the one who gave them life and breath and everything. Their glory belongs to the one whose image they are stamped in, who are they meant to fill the earth with his glory and the display of how wonderful he is and the display of how perfect he is and the display of how beautiful he is and the display of how majestic he is. Why we do missions is because we want to go to the nations and say, give back to the Lord the glory that is due his name. And by the way, your idols can't save you. They will leave you desperate in the day. They will leave you desperate in the day of judgment. Your idols can't save you. They will crush your hopes and they will raise your fears. They can't do it. That's why we do missions. Turn with me to Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, and we're going to pray and then we're going to walk through the scriptures that I think lay those two major principles of missions out for us. So, Father... As we look into your word, help us see Jesus and his beauty. Help us to see Jesus and his glory because that's the only thing worth sacrificing for. It's not worth sacrificing to get our name on some denominational scorecard. It's not worth sacrificing because I stand up here and tell us to. It's not worth sacrificing because we pump it up by a service and have all these promotional materials. It's worth giving our lives for the glory of Jesus. So help us see Jesus in this text. Help us to love Jesus in this text. Help us to be changed to be more like Jesus in this text. We pray it in his name. Amen. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Till he has established justice in all the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out. Who spread out the earth and what comes from it. Who gives breath to the people on it. And a spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord and that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. So as we look at this text, why missions? God's mission is to restore human flourishing. God's mission is to restore human flourishing. Missions is bigger than, it's not smaller than, but it is bigger than a message of individual salvation. You see, everything that was lost in the fall of Genesis 3, all the destruction of man and God being separated, all the destruction of man being separated from man and man being separated from woman and the relationships being shattered and the internal emotional shattering and the spiritual with God shattering, all of that is what God's meant to touch. The creation itself groaning, awaiting its redemption, all of the thorns and the thistles and the the, the laboring sweat that it takes to earn our work, all of that is what the gospel is for. 
The gospel is not just, it is for, and it is primarily for the saving of human souls, but the saved human souls have tasted the kingdom of God, and then they go walk into a world that is the kingdom of Satan, that is the ravaged kingdom of this world, and they plant the gospel, and they plant the kingdom, and they plant the flourishing that was originally meant to be there. And so in Genesis 1, when God looked out over the creation and he said, it is very good, everything that's necessary for my glory is there. To fill the earth with my glory is there. It is very good. Everything that is necessary for humanity to flourish in the richest possible way, it's there. The gospel is working to restore the garden. The gospel will work until the end of the age when Jesus comes and makes everything right. The gospel will work till the end of the age to restore the garden back to humanity. It's no surprise that when we get to Revelation, there's a tree there that's the tree of life. And there's no surprise that it bears its fruit in due season. There's no surprise that God is there again and the people of God are with him again. Because we're back in the garden and we're in the garden forever this time, secured by the gospel. And so our mission is the mission that Jesus set out. It is the mission of people being restored to God. And restored people, people who are restored to God, restoring the world, restoring creation, restoring relationships, restoring everything the fall did so that humanity gets to taste the goodness of the kingdom again. But not just taste the goodness of the kingdom because there's parts of the world that are always going to be broken. To weep with compassion on those who have to live in the brokenness of a world that's not in the garden anymore. As we wait and point to there's a garden that's going to make it right again. There's a hope at the end that we're going back to. And so that's what we're doing. And as we look at this, God's mission is to restore that. And we're going to see that in this text, mainly centering on the word justice. And so three times in the first section, the mission of the servant of God, Jesus, we would say this, the mission of the servant of God is to bring justice. And the reason I translate that to be the word flourishing is because I think that captures the biblical concept of the text. It's not just justice as in all wrongs will be judged and punished and condemned. It is justice in the sense that everything will be back to the way it's supposed to be. Everything will be right again. Everything will be righteous again. Everything will be just again. And so God is going to restore human flourishing. Let's look. God will empower his servant and his servants to spread worldwide flourishing. Have you noticed life outside the garden is tough? Does it ever get hard? Life outside the garden is desperately hard. And it's hard on the geopolitical level. Among nations, they fight each other. They test nuclear missiles and intercontinental ballistic missiles over each other. There is poverty. There is starvation. There's wars. There's tribal disputes. There's border disputes. There's seeking our own interests and fighting each other. All the while ravaging the people of the earth and oppression and injustice. And then there's national and cultural brokenness. And it's hard. Right. As we have injustice in our country, as we have racism in our country, as we have racial tensions in our country, as we have political tensions in our country, as we have these cultural divides among people that keep us separated. And as long as we can talk at each other and feel right instead of talking to each other and walking out reconciliation, then we can be right and they can be right. And everybody's right. They're just separated and broken. And there's economic depression and there's stagnant wages and all of these things are affecting the real lives of human beings living under the fall. It's hard. And it's hard in your home too, isn't it? It's hard to live under the fall 
under the same roof as someone else. And our relationships are strained and our relationships are hard and we accumulate the kind of junk in our heart and in between each other. And it's just very, uh, it's just difficult to be in relationships with other people. And it's hard internally because we are sinners. And we want what we want and we want our own way. And we are lost and we are separated from God. Life outside the garden is hard. And the gospel is sufficient for life outside the garden. The gospel is sufficient for your sin to take you from an enemy of God and adopt you into a holy beloved child of God. The gospel is sufficient for those who have sinned against you and hurt you and you can forgive as God and Christ forgave you. The gospel is sufficient to mend your relationships and the gospel is sufficient to either live in it and go plant it into the cultural problems that you will face and that you'll walk into or weep with those who are under the weight of a cultural problem that can't be fixed or a geopolitical problem that can't be fixed. You can weep under that while pointing to the day when everything's going to be right again. The gospel is sufficient to live life outside the garden. Whatever life outside the garden happens to bring. Let's look at it. My servant, behold my servant. And so four or five times in the book of Isaiah, we meet the servant of God. The servant of God being, we will know the Messiah, as the Messiah, which we know of as Jesus. It is this special designated servant of God who will be faithful, who will accomplish the purposes of God. The most famous of these servant songs is Isaiah 53, which we're more familiar with maybe. And that is, he was bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, so he, or a sheep before his shearers is silent, so was he opened not his mouth. Like, that's one of these servant songs and they kind of fill out and expand our view of this servant. And here he talks about it's my servant. But there's a little bit of challenge as you go through Isaiah because Israel is also identified as my servant with the same language. The very same words are used of them. And so a lot of people get tripped up. Are we talking about Messiah, Jesus? Are we talking about Israel? And it kind of makes sense why that would be. Because if you look at the story, God formed Israel to be his covenant people, a special possession to declare, to show the world what he is like. They were meant to be a kingdom of priests who would represent God into the world and call the nations to come to God and to come and worship the God of Israel because he was a global God. And that was their purpose to function as priests for mankind. But they were faithless. And they rebelled against God and they cloistered off among themselves and they didn't have space to go to the dirty nations and show what God is like or to invite those sinful, bad, heathen nations to come to the God of Israel. But that was always his purpose. And so in their faithlessness, God will raise up a faithful servant, a true Israel, a true Adam. And his name will be Jesus And he will accomplish faithfully what the nation and the servants of God were faithless in. And then when that true servant, Jesus, comes, he will build a new people who will be the servants of God, who will extend the mission that he has initiated. And so it doesn't, it's not, it shouldn't trip you up that there's this servant of God and these servants of God. Jesus becomes the true faithful fulfillment and notice this, he, he, he is my servant and I will uphold him and my soul delights in him. And so this servant isn't going to go and be charismatic and have these gifts and have all this strength and just go and declare his kingship and go declare his rulership. And he's not going to just go in his own strength and his own power. The servant will go and be upheld by God in his mission. He will be supported, grasped, kept by God as he carries out this mission. 
Behold my servant that I'll uphold and in whom my soul delights. See, what happened is faithless Israel rebelled against God. And in the second half of this chapter, you can read it. They became blind and being blind and being rebellious. They were under the displeasure of God. And so you have set up against each other, the true servant, the chosen servant, the servant who delights the soul of the father over and against the blind servants who are faithless and are under the father's displeasure. Behold, my servant, I delight in him and I will empower him. I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice. That's the mission of the servant to bring justice. And again, we're not talking about simply the justice of being declared innocent or being declared guilty in a court of law. We're talking about restoring the world to the way it's supposed to be. My servant will restore the world. My servant will bring global justice, global rightness, global gospel and redemption or global judgment. And it will go one of those two ways, but he will come into the world to make everything right again. Behold him. I delight in him. He's carrying out my mission. And it's a global mission. It's a global mission of restoration. It's not a little bitty mission of restoration. It's not let's stay in places that are safe and isolated with people we like and enjoy being with and and keep away from those dirty, sinful nations and those dirty, sinful people that don't act like good moral people. No, I want to walk into the nations to make them right. And part of making them right is the work of the gospel and it will restore them. But part of making it right will be at the end of the age, they will be judged. Those are the two paths of everything being made right when God's kingdom finally comes in all of its fullness and it reigns over all the earth and the government is upon the shoulders of Jesus and there's no end in scope and no end in time to the kingdom of peace and the kingdom of righteousness that he will initiate or that he will consummate when he comes. That's the cause of global missions is to bring justice to the nations. The justice of the gospel and salvation that works out a flourishing kingdom wherever it is planted, or a kingdom that is able to weep and sustain in the weariness of the world until it comes, or the justice of those apart from God who have no Christmas and who have no Easter and will live and die apart from the message that could save them. That's it. That's the mission. And it will be empowered by God. God will be the one that upholds his servant, Jesus. And God will be the one that upholds us as we go on mission. And as we send missionaries out to the far corners of the earth, they will go in the power of their God and they will be upheld and kept by their God. They will have his spirit to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Second thing we see, God's servant will bring flourishing by compassion, not conquest, even in the face of opposition. God's servant will bring flourishing by compassion, not conquest, even in the face of opposition. Do you ever have times where you want to just give up? You can be honest, you do. Right? Like, lie, hey, what, what is the thing? I don't want to, I can't adult today. Right? That's a, that's a sign, like, I want to give up, I want to punch the clock, I don't want to, I don't want to do this life thing today. Right? We feel like giving up. Sometimes it's job. Like, man, I just can't do this job anymore. I can't get up on Monday. I can't get up at 6.30. I can't get dressed. I can't get, I just don't want to do it anymore. I just feel like giving up in despair. I don't want to do uh, the relationships I'm a part of with my family. They're driving me nuts. 
Like, I can't take any more of the strain of relationships with my family. I don't want to do marriage anymore. I can't take it anymore. I don't want to do life anymore. Can't I just stay in bed, pull the covers up, and be done? Like, life's a pretty despairing place outside the garden, right? It's pretty tough. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was tempted in all points just like you and I are, yet without sin. State it positively. We do have a high priest. We do have a God. We do have a Savior who knows exactly where we live and what we face. And he can exactly sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Yet he conquered it without sin. And he's able to save us. From all of that. And so we have this Savior that in our despair we meet the God of hope and He has sympathy as a father pities his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. But it's not just those who are weak and want to give up, it's His enemies. Like rebels, sinners against Him. And He meets them, right? He meets them and instead of crushing them, He rescues them. And so he has sympathy on us in our weakness and wanting to give up. And those are melting under the weight of the fall. And he has redemption for those who have rebelled against him, all of us, and who have sinned against him. And he has compassion on them instead of crushing them. And so when he should have crushed you, he became one of you. When he should have crushed me, he became one of us. And he consoled us. And he redeemed us. And that's what we see play out in this text. The mission of God is not a conquest mission. It's not a crush my enemy's mission. He could do that and he will do that one day. But that's not the mission. The mission was not roll over the top of the people that oppose you. Crush them under the weight of your majesty and destroy them. That's not the mission. That's what we think it is sometimes, isn't it? Because the place where the unreached people of the world are are in hard places. The place where the unreached people groups of the world are, are in the places that some of us, if we were honest, we might just say because they are such national enemies and they're such evil in the way they carry out their business, we might just say they can just go to H E double hockey sticks. Right? If we are honest in our hearts, when we think about certain nations and some of the things they spawn out of those nations, the natural response of our hearts would be they can just go to. That's... Not the mission. That is not what Jesus said when he looked at you because you were his enemy and children of wrath. That is not what Jesus says when he looks at the world. He looks at his enemies and desires to adopt them as his children. He looks at his enemies and sends a message of love in the gospel through messengers with a heart of love to people who would be their natural enemies to say, come. Come. And here, and that's what we see playing out in this text, a message of love to those who hate. And that's what's left in the world today. It's not people that like, oh, I hope a missionary will show up and tell me all about this Jesus. It's people that either don't know this Jesus, but are blind in their, and dead in their sins and trespasses and enemies of God, or people who actively hate this Jesus and would love to see his name extinguished from the earth. And that's who we go to, not with hate, not with missiles, with the gospel. And it says this, 
He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. So this is some imagery that requires some some interpretation real quickly. And so the idea of crying out would be that, like, I've got this thing I want to accomplish, this mission I want to accomplish, and it's not happening. It's slow. It's painful. It's filled with opposition. And you just want to go, oh, right? Y'all ever done, oh, like I do that on a weekly basis. Sometimes a couple of times a week, like, oh, he will not cry out in exasperation. He will not be broken by discouragement in the face of this massive mission that sometimes feels like it's going backwards and not forwards. That's not true, but sometimes it feels that way. He won't cry out in exasperation. But on the other side, he also won't be like the kings of the nations who run through the streets with heralds saying, hey, the king's coming, bow down. The king's coming, see his majesty. The king's coming, look at his splendor. He doesn't go that way. Like instead of coming into the fanfare of somebody shouting how great he is and everybody gathering to, to this royal celebration... He'll walk through this world without any fanfare whatsoever. He'll walk through this world not like the majestic kings of the earth, but like this humble king who would actually be born in a manger, a stable, and they'd be put in this like slobbering feed trough. Like he walks through the earth like the way he began. That's the way he walks his life out in the earth. And so he will not cry out in exasperation, giving up, nor will he herald himself like a king of old. He'll just walk through this world without fanfare, except for those who have eyes to see will see. Those who have ears to hear They'll hear. And then a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is the idea of compassion, not conquest. Humanity is bending under the weight of the fall and sin. They are a bruised reed, a reed that's, you know, like, have you ever seen those things by the river, a reed? And like, they're, they're actually pretty firm, but as soon as you bend them, they have no more strength or integrity left. And so these are bent, these are bruised reeds, so that integrity of the, the straight stalk is now gone, and they're just ready to collapse. Now, what does the world do with people that are ready to collapse? What does the world do with those who are outcasts? What does the world do with those that are worthless? They can't do me any good. Like, they're not going to help my political cause. They're not going to help my agenda. They're not going to help me get power. They're not going to help me get money. They don't give me any status whatsoever. So you know what? Let's go ahead and just crush that reed. Let's go ahead and extinguish the wick of them. What does the world do with those who are oppressed? Cast them off. That is not what Messiah does. To a humanity stooped low under sin and the ravages of the fall and the ravages of life outside the garden, he will not break those who are bent over. Instead, he'll have compassion on them. He will not extinguish those that are burning dimly, ready to go out. He will inflame them and have compassion on them. And he will do it because he's one who's faced the very same things. It doesn't come through as much in the English, but these are the same root words that are used of him that were just used of the bruised reed. He will not grow faint or discouraged in verse 4 are the same root words. He's faced opposition. He's faced marginalization. He's faced oppression. He's faced injustice. And in the face of that, he didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't quit on his purpose. He didn't say, okay, God, just hit the eject button. Get me back to glory where I belong, where the angels sing my praises for all eternity. Get me back there. Instead, he goes all the way to the cross. And he will not relent of his purposes till they are all accomplished all over the globe. He will not quit till the global mission is completed. And so as his servants, don't quit until the global mission is completed. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. When you're ready to quit, 
When you're ready to quit on the little things like job and the little things like relationships or when you're ready to quit because how much, how many offerings can we do? And there's still billions of lost people in the earth. We're never going to get there from here. There's still almost 7,000 unreached people groups. We're never going to get to them all. Let's just quit. I'm, I'm tired of it. Like it's so discouraging. He's not going to quit until look, until he faithfully brings forth justice. He will not grow faint until he's established justice in the earth. He will not quit till the garden returns. And in between here and the, between him and the garden was a cross. And then between him and the garden was thousands of years of the church age, however long he chooses to give us. And he won't quit. Thousands of years of watching billions of people be born and billions of people live and billions of people die without having any access to the gospel whatsoever. He won't quit. He won't get discouraged. He will walk out the flourishing of the world until he comes back and makes the world flourish again. Until there is a river of life, until there's a tree of life, until there's this fruit of the, of God's tree that will never, that will always have a different fruit in every season. He's not going to quit. So we don't quit. And then the last step we're going to take on this. God has sent his servant and his servants with a, on a saving mission for his glory. God has sent his servants on a saving mission for his glory. Yes, missions is about planting the good flourishing of the kingdom where there is barrenness and ravaged world and injustice and poverty and all the pain you can possibly imagine. Like, yeah, that's what it's for. It's a mission for the souls, the eternal souls of people who will live and will die apart from Jesus and be eternally condemned. And they don't have access to that. It's about that. But it's not ultimately about that. It's ultimately about the glory of God among all the nations. The glory of God in every human heart. Let's look at it as we close out. God introduces himself. You know, he's God. He doesn't really have to. But he does. I am God, the Lord, and I've created heavens and the earth. I stretch them out, or I stretch them out and I spread out the earth. In Isaiah 40, 22, he stretched out the heavens like a curtain, and all the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers before him. I've stretched out the earth, I created it, and then I've breathed into humanity the breath of life. All people, I gave them breath and I gave them spirit. Think about Genesis 1. He took this unformed man, Adam, and he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living being. God has taken every human being on earth and he's breathed the breath of life into them, and they live because he gave them breath. And they live because he gave them spirit. That's who he is. That's his right to speak. I am the creator God who created the world, not just a nation. I am the creator God who stretched out the heavens, not just this little bitty dot of a planet circling through billions of stars. That's nothing in the cosmic scheme of things, except for that God chose for it to be. I did that too. And by the way, if there's one human being on this earth, I created him and I gave him breath and I gave him life. That's me. So now I'm commissioning my servant. He he starts with the same phrase. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the covenant-making God. I am the covenant-keeping God. I'm the Lord. And he speaks directly to the servant for the first time. And he says, I am the Lord, and I've called you out in righteousness. And he kind of repeats the same theme of I've, I've upheld you. And then he gives us the mission. He gives us the way he'll accomplish the mission. I will give you as a covenant for the people. 
So now we start to see justice isn't just about making everything right in the court of law. Justice is about the covenant of redemption stretching over humanity. And so the word switches from uh, justice as this background to now this covenant for the people. I will make you the one who will walk towards people. Jesus, I will make you the one who will walk towards people and offer them a covenant with their God, a saving covenant with their God. I'll give you as a covenant. I will give you as the sacrifice that will seal a redemption. I will give you for those who will turn from their sin and place their faith in you. I will give you as to be the covenant who will establish relationship with God. And I'll make you a light to the Gentiles. I will make you the saving brightness I will make you the saving light that would guide people from the darkness of this world, lostness, to the saving light of the glory of God, from blind, which we're about to see, to sight, spiritual sight. I will give you that for the nations. He's not just talking about Israel. He didn't just create Israel. He created a world. He didn't just breathe breath into Israel. He breathed breath into all of humanity. And so he has a mission to all of humanity that all of humanity would hear and all of humanity would have an opportunity to believe through the gospel message and the work of the Spirit. I'll give you a covenant to the, na- to the people, all people. I'll make you a light to the nations, all the nations, so that people from every tribe and tongue and national language would come. And we know this is talking about Jesus. If you look up Matthew 12, he quotes this passage and he ends with, in, his, in my name, the nations will hope. Luke 4, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he said, the spirit of God is upon me. Look at verse 1. To preach the gospel to the poor and have the blind to see and take out liberty to the captives. That's what's happening in this passage. And he will give sight to the blind. He will give sight to the blind. Now, one of the ways that it was proven that he was Messiah is that he did give physical sight to the physically blind, but that's not what it's talking about. That's just a symbol. He will give spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. See, the nations are not just waiting on the gospel. Please show up and tell me about Jesus. They are blind and they're willful in their rebellion and they have chosen unrighteousness to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And when you go with the gospel, they may hate you for it. They may reject you for it. And so you don't just go for that. We'll get to why you go in a second. He will proclaim light. He will tell the blind, the willfully blind, see, see. And for those that are in the dungeon of darkness, those who are chained, prisoners of Satan, and that's the way sin's pictured, that's the way Satan's pictured. That we are slaves of sin, Trapped there. And then willingly trapped there. And Messiah will walk into this world with this covenant that says, see. And he will walk in with his gospel to the nations and say, be free. And that's what the gospel does. It sets captives free. It gives blind people sight. That's our mission. Go tell the world, see, see the glory of God. Be unblinded to it. Go to the world and say, be free. Be at liberty because the day of jubilee, the day of freedom being declared has come. But that's not the ultimate reason, is it? Because he introduces another section. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. My glory I will not give to another. 
God allows zero competition for his glory in the world. He will not allow Baal. He will not allow Buddha. He will not allow your fitness trained body. He will not allow your green bills in your wallet. He will not allow your massive buildings. He will not allow your government agendas. He will not allow a statue you would make. He would not allow a person in your life. He will not allow or tolerate competition with his glory. He is infinitely worthy of it. He is infinitely majestic. He is infinitely beautiful. He is infinitely worthy. He is infinitely glorious. And he will allow no competition. And think how merciful that is. Think how tragic it would be to say, here, have your little statue that can't talk back and live with it. Have your little statue that will collapse when you need it most. Go for it. But he won't. He will not allow competition for his glory. And he will not allow competition for his glory in your life either. He won't allow you to settle in with your idols and live with them there. He will graciously war against them in your life. Just like he will graciously war against them among the nations. And missions is about joining the chorus of God saying, Give to God the glory due his name. Give to God the glory to his name because alone, when you bank your hope in his name, alone can he deliver and alone can he save. And alone will this glory be a sufficient glory to satisfy the demands of the, 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 the insatiable demands of the human soul. He alone can do that. My glory I won't give to another and my praise to carved idols. I will not let that happen. I will not let my praise be stolen from me. And missions is about warring for the praise of God being returned to God and away from the other things people worship. And then just so you make sure you know that there's a huge difference between Yahweh, the covenant God, and the idols of the earth. Those idols of the earth are mute. They are dumb. They are speechless. They can accomplish nothing. But I, the Lord... I tell you new things before they ever come to pass. And Isaiah talks, if I declare you the end from the beginning, I'm the God who can speak things into being, but I'm also the God who can speak before things happen, and they will happen, certainly. Test me. Put me to the test. Can your idols do that? No. I can. And I have purposed that my servant will accomplish a worldwide mission of human flourishing. Now bringing it about in the future, finalizing it. And all of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That will happen one day. Our mission is not futile. It is, there's no reason to give up. It will be accomplished. And there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language surrounding the throne, worshiping God for all eternity the way they were de- designed and meant and, and, and created to do. The kingdom will reign forever and it will reign over everything. So don't grow weary. Don't quit in the face of it being hard. Don't stay home when he says go. Don't keep your money tight for more possessions and more junk and more stuff that's going to get broken and discarded and pile up in your attic till you get, have to move and get a garage sale out of it. Don't do that with your life and your stuff. Throw it into the cause of world missions, not because you feel guilty and not because I'm asking you to, but because you've seen a little bit more of the glory of Jesus. And because you've seen more of the glory of Jesus, you want to throw more of your life at making his mission and his cause fill the earth with justice, with flourishing. A few practical things very quickly. You've heard them before. They're simple, but they're not simplistic. 
Go. I would challenge every single person in this room. Find over the next however long. It may take years to get there from here. I think every single believer in Jesus should take an international mission trip to go and get a first-hand experience of the world that is on God's heart. So go. Go for a week. Go for a month. Go to South America or go as far as you can possibly get from here. But I think every single believer would be so enriched in their spirit to walk into the nations on God's mission and just get a taste of it so that you're a better, more passionate lover of it here and a better, more passionate cheerleader of sending others to it. Second thing, give sacrificially. Again, not because I'm saying and not because you feel guilty and that's not and not because that's what we do as Baptists in December. Give more sacrificially because you've tasted a little more of the glory of God. Purpose in your heart that I'm going to give more than I gave last time. I'm going to give differently than I gave last time. Because I've tasted God's glory a little differently and a little more over the past year. And then the last one, pray. You've got a guide in your bulletin where there are specific missionaries in specific regions you can pray for this week. And I would just like to challenge you and encourage you to do that. You also have in your bulletin a website or in your insert a website. And every single day they will pop a new unreached people group of the earth up. And you can get that by a, uh, a widget. You can get that by an email. You can get that by however you want it delivered technologically possible. But it's going to give you an opportunity to see real people with real demographics that are really part of the fall that nobody's after yet. And it's going to give you a chance to pray for those. And then we're going to have some opportunities, more focused opportunities to pray as a church uh, in January as we do some prayer and fasting. But I just encourage you to pray for the cause of world's missions. It is a spiritual battle that takes spiritual movement of God. And so our people need the support and encouragement of God's people's prayer and the nations to till the soil of hardened, rocky soil needs prayers of tilling up the soil for the gospel to be planted into. Go, give, pray for the glory of Jesus. We pray, Father, we are asking you for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We are asking for a fresh burden for missions, a fresh glimpse of the glory of Jesus the servant you delight in, the covenant maker, the covenant offer that has rescued us and will rescue them, the one who stoops down with compassion to those bent over and broken by sin, the one who runs to his enemies to adopt them and not from them to crush them. God, give us that heart for people. Give us that heart for the nations. Not what can they do for us, but what can we do for them For the glory of Jesus. God, give us hearts that look around us and see where the kingdom is not and see where it's not flourishing and see our own souls and our own relationships where the where the gospel is not richly flourishing. And help us weep as it's broken and plant life that we might we might sow in weeping and reap in joy. The seeds of the kingdom flourishing again around us, in us, in our homes, in this church, in Statesboro, in the world. Father, only you can do that. Only you can do that through the work of Jesus. And so do it, we pray. Do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, God's not just saving people all over the globe. He's saving people right here. If you have never met Jesus, 
If you have never been convicted of your sin, I don't care how much religion you have on top of you, if you've never been convicted of your sin, if you've never turned from that and put the full weight of your life, your eternity, your faith in Jesus and only Jesus to save you, I would encourage you to do that now. I would encourage you to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. We can pray here together. You can come forward and do that. You can fill out the little white sheet in your bulletin and just say, I need to talk to somebody about this. And we'll make sure to get with you to answer your questions and help you through that process. But maybe for you, it's time to pray. It's time to pray about your part in missions. Is it going and you've just said no? Is it take your family and let's pray? Let's pray what he's calling us to sacrifice, to release resources into the mission of God for. What's he calling out of you? Maybe you want to pray with you. Maybe you want to pray with your family about the sending or the giving. Come. Or maybe as a church, you would just be led to come forward and let's pray over the missionaries that we know, that that we see, that we're sending now. Pray over the missionaries that we may never know and we may never see this side of heaven, but we want them to be strengthened. We don't want them to be discouraged until justice is brought into the nations. We want to lift them up. We want to pray for the nations as they're separated from God. And nobody's coming after them yet. However you need to respond, it could be right where you are. It could be up here. Let's stand. We'll sing. And you respond how God is leading you.